I would invite you to turn to the book of Acts. Acts is the first New Testament book after the four Gospels. It is the account of the work of the church after the resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have been looking this past week and this week at Acts chapter 2 and perhaps the greatest sermon ever preached by the Apostle Peter at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples and thousands were added to the church. And in this sermon we saw last week that Peter described how the death of our Lord Jesus Christ was not an accident. It was determined by the will of God and it was determined for a purpose, to save a people. And now as we turn to the second half of this sermon, we see the culmination of God's plan of salvation in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you would please give attention with me to the reading of God's holy word, for the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient, and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. And of that, we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, 
this Jesus whom you crucified. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, as we look into your word, we would see the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. That we would find our hope in him. That we would know that he indeed is glorious and worthy of our worship. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Today is a day that we focus on the resurrection. But we should remember that the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. Each and every Lord's Day is a resurrection Sunday. In fact, Paul tells us that if in Christ we have hope in this life only... We are of all people most to be pitied. Our hope is not in this life only, Paul tells us. Our hope is in the risen Savior. And we are reminded of the importance of the resurrection by Peter's sermon here in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached it 50 days after the resurrection. And it forms... That is, the resurrection forms the central part of this sermon's message. Last week we looked at the first part of Peter's sermon in which he told us about Jesus' death for us on the cross. Now, Peter shows us the glory of Jesus' resurrection and the victory that Jesus has won for you and me. Death was not the end for Jesus. And that means that death is not the end for all who believe in him. This morning I would like us to see three things from our text. The first and most important is the foundational truth that Jesus is raised. Jesus is risen today. And then I would like us to see two consequences of that great truth that apply to us. The first consequence is that Jesus, the risen Savior, is our joy. He is our joy. And then second, we see that Jesus, the risen Savior, is exalted. And that as the exalted one, he showers blessings upon us. Jesus is raised. Jesus is our joy. And Jesus is exalted. Well, let's begin then by looking at the great truth that Jesus is raised. Now, a reminder that we come to verse 24 in our text. God raised him up. And we come to the resurrection only because of the death of Jesus Christ. Were it not for his death, he would not be raised. And remember that Jesus' death was a part of God's plan. Neither the Father nor the Son were caught by surprise by the cross. And last week we looked and saw that because God is in control, because God is sovereign, 
the resurrection is a truth that we can rely on. This week we see that God's plan is perfect and we see life from death. The first thing that Peter reminds us is the reality of Jesus' death. That Jesus was truly dead. He puts it this way at the end of verse 23. That this Jesus you crucified and killed by the lawless hands of men. Now what that says to us is the death of Jesus Christ was no trick. It was no show. Crucifixion was not something that anyone survived. It was a gruesome death. It was a torturous death. No one bounced back from a crucifixion. There were no survivors of crucifixion. And this is important because there had already been an attempt by the Jewish leaders to deny the reality of what had happened. First, they denied that Jesus had risen from the grave. They said that his followers had stolen his body and that there was no resurrection. Now, the thing that is almost humorous about this is, in order to prevent this from happening, they had sealed the tomb. They had rolled a large rock in front of the tomb, a rock so large that several healthy men could not have moved it. And that wasn't enough for them. They set a guard at the stone to make sure that no one would come by night and unseal the tomb. And yet, they came up with this preposterous lie that the disciples had gone in and stolen the body and fabricated a resurrection. And then, when it became clear that that lie was not going to be bought by the populace, they came up with another lie that Jesus only appeared to be dead. He was pretending. He was fainting. He was just perhaps somewhat out of sorts, tired and sick. And that he got himself up, took off the binding grave clothes, rolled the stone aside by himself, went out into the world, and was never seen in that condition again. Because anyone who claimed to have seen him, saw that his body was not wounded apart from the scars. Now, why do I mention that? This should sound familiar to you because there are men and women who still today cling to this lie. That somehow someone could survive crucifixion, survive being buried in a tomb, survive being wrapped in grave clothes, survive the loss of blood of being pierced by a spear, and then simply free themselves and go about their business. It's ludicrous. But there are people today that would have you believe that because to them, that's more palatable than the truth that Jesus is the Son of God and that death could not hold him and that he rose from the grave. Peter makes it very personal for those who are hearing him. He says, you killed him. You saw him die. You wanted him to die. You shouted for Barabbas. You mocked Jesus. He's appealing to them to their very eyes, to the truth of the death of Christ. Now imagine, if you will, 
Peter and the disciples that Friday night, that Saturday during the day. Can you imagine what they were thinking? This was not just the death of a close friend. This was the death of hope. It was the death of the kingdom of God. It was the death of all that they had worked and lived for for three years following our Lord Jesus Christ. They were empty and despondent. They would not have known what to do in the consequence of this. Have you ever felt that kind of emptiness? That pain? Have you been discouraged by loss? Thinking that you would Never recover. Never rejoice again. That is life in a world scarred by sin. We're scarred by sin and its attendant death of violence and abuse and injustice and pain. But that's not how the world is supposed to be. Jesus suffered and died so that that would not be the end. And Peter tells us in verse 24 that God changed everything. God raised him up. And and Peter wants to keep before our eyes Jesus. In the original language, it's actually emphatic. Him. Him, this Jesus, that Jesus, Him God raised up. The one who suffered mockery, the one who suffered shame. He was brought back to life. He was lifted up from the grave and raised to a position of honor. This was no weak healing. This was no fighting off of death. No, this was the miraculous power of God making all things right. And it took the power of God. As with all the great acts of God, his work of creation, his work of salvation, and yes, the work of resurrection, the work of God is ascribed to God and to all three persons of the Godhead. They're all at work. You cannot set the Father against the Son, against the Spirit. None of the persons of the Godhead acts independently. They are three persons, but one God. And so it is with resurrection. Here, Peter, as it is often done in the scripture, ascribes resurrection to the Father. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. We are buried, therefore, with him, that is Christ, by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father we too might walk in newness of life. And again, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, that great chapter that speaks of the foreordination of God and the plan of God, says that he worked in Christ, that is, the Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand in heavenly places. The Father raised up the Son when the atonement was finished. But remember also (coughs) that the scripture says this in Romans chapter 8. 
If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. And so clearly in Romans chapter 8, Paul ascribes the resurrection to the Holy Spirit. And he ascribes the resurrection that we have as the first fruits to the Spirit. But even more, the resurrection of the Son is described actively to Him, to Jesus. In Mark's Gospel, the 16th chapter, we're told that the Son rose. That is an active verb. Not that He was raised, but He rose from the dead. And so here we have the power of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit working together to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. In this resurrection, Peter tells us that the power of death itself was broken. Look with me again at verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is not simply a one-off occasion. This is not some, simply a single miraculous act. No, this is a resurrection that reverses the effects of sin, reverses the curse of death, and sets the world aright. Because the very pangs of death are loosed. We have to understand what Peter is saying here. You see, when we hear the word loose, we think of something being not tightly bound. My shoelace is loose. That rope is loose. That wheel is loose and might fall off. But that's not what the word means here. In the New Testament, this word means to be completely undone. To be destroyed. To be brought to an end. It's not just that death is somehow lessened. No, the resurrection has destroyed the power of death. And what was undone, Peter says, are the pangs of death. Now this is not merely the suffering that people experience or that our Lord experienced upon the cross. No, these are specific kinds of pain. Elsewhere in the scripture, they're translated birth pain. You see, what the resurrection has done is to destroy death, the power of death, and the product of death. It has completely undone it. It has changed what we consider inevitable. It brings hope where there is none. You see, we live in a world in which we think it is natural to die. It is not that's not the nature of this world. Death is a result of sin and curse. And Jesus has conquered sin and reversed the curse. And so therefore, death has no more power. Death will be no more. Now, how could this be? It's because of who Jesus is. It's not just the fact of the resurrection that's significant. No, it's the fact of who Jesus is and that he rose again. That's significant. Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 that he is the 
life. Not just life. Not just the possessor of life. He is the life. In that same gospel in John chapter 1, John describes that all creation, all life comes from Jesus. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. In him is life. And that life is the light of men. Peter says much the same thing later in chapter 3 in Acts. When he preaches a follow-on sermon in the portico of Solomon. In chapter 3 verse 15. He once again describes the crucifixion and he says, You killed the author of life. You killed the originator of life. The prince of life. The ruler of life, we may translate it. Jesus was no victim of circumstances. He is God himself, and he has all authority and power over life and death. Just as he willingly laid down his life on the cross, he rose from the dead because he has the power of life. Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 10. He says, if I lay down my life, then I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. You see, Peter tells us that it was impossible for death to hold Jesus. Because Jesus is more powerful than death itself. And this is important for us. Because as the author of life, Jesus has abolished the sting of death for all who believe in him. Death no longer holds fear or finality for the Christian. We no longer fear death. Death is now merely a transition from life on this earth to life with Jesus Christ forever. Paul puts it this way in 2 Timothy 1. That that which has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ banishes death. And it brings life and immortality to light. And that's because death stands no chance against Jesus. Hebrews 2 puts it this way. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is, the devil. Do you feel beset this morning? Perhaps you see enemies around you. Perhaps your enemy is called cancer. Perhaps your enemy is called heart disease. Perhaps your enemy is called hunger. Perhaps your enemy is called poverty. Perhaps your enemy is called divorce. Perhaps your enemy is called estrangement. Jesus defeated the greatest enemy of mankind. He defeated death. And the one who has the power of death. The devil. 
He defeats cancer. He defeats heart disease. He defeats divorce. He defeats pain. He defeats loneliness. He gives life where there once was death. Do you see how Jesus' resurrection applies to you? When he rose from the grave, it's not just that Jesus cheated death. He broke the power of death and sin so that by the grace of God, all who trust in him would have eternal life. What a hope. Death is no longer the end. It's the entry into eternal life with Jesus. That is good news. Peter then moves on to apply the consequences of Jesus' resurrection to us. He tells us that Jesus is our joy. And he moves to quote from Psalm 16 here in verse 25 and following. He says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. He quotes this psalm to prove to us that the resurrection was God's plan all along. Peter sees now what he didn't see before. Before he couldn't imagine Jesus going to the cross. You remember him saying to Jesus, never Lord. That was because he didn't look beyond Jesus' words about dying. Peter didn't want Jesus to make a grand gesture. He wanted to be with Jesus always. And now in Psalm 16, Peter sees the connection between Jesus' resurrection and God's plan. Now what is Psalm 16? It's a psalm of David. And David in it says several things, but the central thing that Peter focuses on we find in verse 27. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. It's a promise that he would not be abandoned in death or have his body corrupted. But there's a problem here. Peter says in verse 29, Brothers, I say to you with confidence that the patriarch David is dead and he's buried and his tomb is right over there. So David could not be talking about himself. Everyone knew that. Everyone could see that. David did die and his body did decay. So what was David saying? Peter reminds us that in addition to being a king, David was a prophet. He wrote, amongst other things, the Psalms, many of the Psalms. And David knew that God had promised him an eternal kingdom and a throne. That's what we see in verse 30. God had sworn with an oath that his kingdom would have no end and that a king would sit on his throne forever. And that promise was fulfilled in the eternal God-man, David's descendant, Jesus Christ. That's what Peter tells us. He tells us, I know it. He tells us David knew it. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. And he wants you to know it. He's saying when David 
spoke these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he was speaking of the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ brings the kingdom of God. It brings an eternal throne. And it's Jesus who, having risen again, is proof that David's words were true. Peter continues being very emphatic in verse 32. This Jesus, this very Jesus, God raised him up. And we all are witnesses, he says. We all testify to that. Peter is summarizing what Paul will say later, that Jesus was first seen by the women, and then by Peter, and then by the twelve, and then by five hundred. The resurrection is an historical fact, testified to by men who gave their lives clinging to that fact. And now we see that Peter makes the connection between Jesus' resurrection and our joy. It's easy for Peter to understand what's going on now. Before, he was afraid of losing Jesus because of the cross. We could just imagine during that dark Friday and Saturday, the pain and the loss that he felt. You perhaps know something of that. You've lost a loved one. Or you have emptiness in your life. Or you even have a fear of losing someone. Even the youngest among us have that. There's a fear of losing father or mother. But now, Peter tells us that Jesus is with us forever. Never to depart. Even death itself cannot separate us from Jesus. Look at verse 25. I saw the Lord always. Before me. I see by faith the Lord Jesus Christ, and He is before me always. He will never abandon me, He will never leave me. I don't need to face life on my own. He is at my right hand. Do you hear the blessing in that? You know, we live in a modern world that has many conveniences and inventions. And, and one invention that is very helpful, especially to parents and grandparents, is a thing called video conferencing. Because you can live very far from your children or grandchildren, and you can pull them up, you can see their face, and even if they're too young to talk, you can talk to them, you can see their eyes, you can see their expression, and it's a great blessing. But let me ask you this, was there ever a grandparent who ever said, now I'm not going to bother to go travel and see my grandchild, FaceTime's good enough. If you find one, let me know and I'll take them to the doctor. Because that's crazy. If that's all we can get, we'll take FaceTime. But we want to be with them. And do you see what David is saying and Peter is applying to us? That Jesus is at our right hand. It's not just that he will never leave us. He is with us. He is close to us. And the result is that I might not be shaken. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the anchor that you need in the storms of this world. 
Jesus' resurrection reminds you that Jesus is with you, that His promise to never leave you nor forsake you is true. And no matter what this world throws at you, pandemics, wars, weapons, injustice, disease, it can't take Jesus from you. So you will never be shaken. And when Jesus is with us, the result is great joy. Look at verse 26. Therefore, that is, because of this. You know how this goes, right? When we see a therefore, we look back and see what the therefore is there for. Because the Lord is at our right hand, the result is, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. You see, that's what brings great joy. Celebration, merrymaking. We cannot help but have praise on our lips because Jesus is risen and we know it and we know that he is with us. And Jesus is there to comfort us and to encourage us on. Look at verse 28. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Jesus is with us, and he is not silent. The resurrection is not a private event. Christianity is a faith of history, of facts. Jesus appeared before hundreds. It's a fact that he rose from the grave, that the tomb was empty. And even today, we declare the truth of that event. That physical resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Now, there are some who are out there who are ashamed of the cross. Ashamed of the Bible. Ashamed of Jesus. Who will speak of metaphors. And say, well, the resurrection really is just a metaphor for a spiritual awakening. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. We declare with the Apostle Paul that if Christ has not been raised, our faith is in vain. The fact of the resurrection is the linchpin of your faith. It is what gives you hope. It is what declares to you that when Jesus said, it is finished, it was. That atonement has been made. The sin is forgiven. That you are right with God because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is raised. He has declared it in his word. He has made it known through witnesses. And that should bring you joy in any circumstance. So often we try to ignore the truth of life in order to bring a false sense of comfort. A popular image, so-called a meme, is of someone sitting at a table drinking a cup of coffee while everything around them is on fire. And the caption of the picture is, this is fine. When, of course, we look at the picture, we say, no, it's not. You're on fire. The room is on fire. Understand the reality of the world. You see, Jesus doesn't want you to pretend that the world is okay. 
Jesus tells you that He is risen. That you will rise to be with Him. And that He will make you full of gladness. Do you trust the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the most important question of your life. It's not the only question. But everything else falls in place when you trust Jesus. You know that this world is not the end. That this life is not the end. And there is joy for you that Jesus has purchased for you. Life eternal with Him. Finally and briefly, we see that in the resurrection, Jesus receives the promises of the Father, and then He blesses us with those promises. Jesus is exalted. In the resurrection, Jesus is uniquely exalted as the mediator of the covenant. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection. In a sermon much like this one we're looking at this morning, in Acts chapter 13, Paul, also quoting from Psalm 16, says that by raising Jesus from the dead, God fulfilled Psalm 2, You are my Son. Now, it is not that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God before the resurrection. It's not that Jesus didn't have power before the resurrection. But the resurrection is the exaltation of Jesus right before us. So that we can't miss it. And we can't deny it. David saw this, Peter says, in verse 30. He foresaw that God had sworn an oath to him and he would set one of his descendants on the throne. God had made a covenant promise with David and God backed that with an oath. The oath was to help David's faith, to solidify the promise in David's mind. And that promise was fulfilled by the resurrection of Jesus. You know, sometimes we wish we were Bible people. Now, what do I mean by that? That God would speak directly to us like he does people in the Bible. That we could see what they saw. What Peter is telling you here is that you are a Bible person. You have the resurrection of Christ as the fulfillment of God's great promise. Don't doubt God. The proof is before you. In the empty tomb. And do you see how Peter draws the connection between Jesus receiving the promises and you receiving the blessing? The risen Christ is at the right hand of God and he receives the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, you see this blessing today, right before you. And that blessing comes to God's people down through the ages to you and me. We have the Holy Spirit sent by Christ after His resurrection and exaltation. And Christ has defeated all our enemies. Now that doesn't mean that your life is perfect. 
That doesn't mean that there's no pain in life. David says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It means that we have a sure and steadfast hope. Even the last enemy, death, has been defeated. The resurrection declares to us Jesus' victory. He has defeated death. He has defeated sin. He has made all things new. God cannot be stopped. Not by Satan, not by our sin, not by any power on earth. Hear the declaration of verse 36. Know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Jesus is your hope. He is your hope because he is your Savior. He is your resurrected King. He is both Lord and Christ. Death has been defeated. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, lift your eyes to the Savior. Declare His matchless glory to the world around you. Remember in the darkest of times that he is always before you. And do not be shaken. He is risen.